0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Feel, um, I like the feel that where you're like, oh, okay, we're gonna start. Okay, uh, okay, sit down. You know, there's so many people that are like talking and chatting. I'm like, hey, that's kind of a good. Uh, Kind of a good feel. Obviously, it's bad if if eventually we don't sit down, but um, I'm a teacher by trade, and they call that humming. Like, you want your students, when they work, to be that sound of, like, busy working, like, small, actually talking to each other kind of stuff. So if you have to be like, guys, sorry, we have to transition. I know you're working, like, really hard. It's a really good, it's a good teacher feel. So... um, so I love that you guys are connecting with each other. Um, but yeah, I'm so happy to be here. I'm, I'm excited. I want to have fun this morning. I, have a, I just told um, Kaiman in the back, I have a high value for fun. So um, I hope we have fun and enjoy um, each other this morning. But um, yeah, as David said, my name is Audrey and um, my husband's name is Deddy. And we've been coming here for um, about four and a half years and it's been really fun. And um, we have a little baby, Nova. At the back, um, my husband's holding her, um, and she is such a joy in our life. You can hold her up, babe. There she is. <laughs> a little Lion King moment right there. Um, my brain was like, break out, sing it. No, I'm not going to try that. Um, but yeah, we love her so much. Motherhood has been such a joy. And um, and also, I've never slept um, the least amount. I'm like, words, what are those? Yeah, this is like a case in point. I've never slept the least amount as I've slept with um, Nova. And um, a lot of people, like, when they're pregnant have um, insomnia. And I, like, rarely did. I slept, like, 11 hours in the summer because I was... Um, a teacher, I was off, so I would just be like, "Oh, I should probably take like a nap or two as well, because like why not?" So I was sleeping 11 hours and taking naps. So when Nova came into the world, <laughs> it's been rough. Um, but last night I only got up three times, so that was pretty good. I like got up this morning and Daddy let me sleep a little bit, and I'm like, "Woo! I can conquer the world! I can do this! I can do some chores, and I can probably think about what I'm going to eat later." So um, I'm excited about that. Um, In the series that we have been doing, also, we're talking about uh, Jesus and miracles, and the purpose of those miracles, and we're focusing in on um, what it is that uh, he was doing and why. And so, I'm going to be talking about Jesus calming the storm. And in that, um, I have a section on peace as well. So, um, my second kind of element there is the peace of God. And... Much of what I'm sharing today actually is where I had so much anxiety this one night. It was like really gripping me. And anxiety for me is like where it sits on my chest and it's hard for me to breathe. And then the Lord just started speaking to me about peace, of what is peace. And so I hope to be able to bring that to you today. Um, And I feel like this morning is densely packed good news. So we have a lot of um, scripture and a lot of... um, kind of ways that we're going to be unpacking that, and I also have um, these slides that are going to be attached to uh, the sermon later on, so if you feel like um, I'm maybe going a little fast through the slides, don't worry, because um, I'm i going to have those posted for you. All right, let's jump right in. So this is Mark four thirty-five through 41, and this is from the ESV. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side of He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Pretty gnarly story. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you that your son was sent to love us to be love for us, to perform these miracles, to show us a way to you. Father, in this world, we're surrounded by troubles, by crisis, by these metaphorical wind and the waves. So I pray, Lord, this morning that we would leave with an understanding that there is peace within us, peace surrounded us, and peace through us. Father, would you give us this peace that you promised, And would we be able to access that peace on Monday mornings and Tuesday mornings and Saturday mornings and the times when we feel afraid, the times when we feel like we are overwhelmed, the times when we feel lonely? I pray, God, that this would speak to people that have been asking for peace and haven't had breakthrough. I ask, Lord, that this would speak to people that need to be encouraged. And I ask, Lord, that this would speak to people that would drive a hunger in them to know you more. That this is not just about hearing wise words, but this is about ingesting a sort of truth that we can live in a different reality, that we don't have to live as the world does. We don't have to live without you. So Father, would that be what we leave here today with? And would that journey allow us to find you every single day? in greater measures. Amen. Okay, so it's evening. Verse 1. On that day when evening had come, it's getting dark, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with him. So the context today, is, or then, rather, there, was that Jesus was already in the boat. He was preaching to multitudes on the shore. He had been there all day, and evening had come, right? And he says, hey, let's go over to the other side. And David did a really good job of explaining this in his um, sermon. We talked about how Jesus ministered and how he spoke, and he would give sermons to the multitudes. He would go out in a boat, and he would go kind of across the sea to other different towns and um, like. So he's been in the boat all day. That's what that uh, comment is, just as he was. And he's with his disciples. These are the ones that, in a previous chapter, these are the 12 men that he's appointed to be with him, to send out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. So these are the people that um, are with him that he says, Come on, let's go over to the other side. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, one version says a furious squall, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, or another version says swamped, and in Luke's version he notes that they are in quote great danger. And Luke has special credibility, right, because he's a doctor and he's used to assessing the facts and kind of knowing those facts, right? But then also you have fishermen in the boat that have kind of lived their lives on the sea. So there's valid reason to be scared, right? If you're with people that are professionals, they're like, oh, we're on the sea all the time. Like, if you've ever been on a catamaran ride or whatever, or um, kind of um, been at sea and it's been kind of choppy and you kind of look over at the crew and they're like, you're like, oh, okay, we're good. So if you look over the crew and they're terrified, you know it's pretty scary. But one commentator who's talking about this storm says that uh, freak storms caused by the wind coming through the valley this is talking about onto the Sea of Galilee would easily have waves of up to 20 feet. The Buford Wind Scale and you can switch that slide there calculates the type of wind by force. It is given a name with the wind speed, calculates an approximate approximate height of the waves on the sea and describes the type of wave that is produced. It was created in the 1800s by a British admiral to help sailors identify waves and wind by visual observations." And so this is very, very tiny, Um, but you can see on one side it talks about the force. So that force is a category of what kind of number and then it has the name, so describing the weather, the wind speed, the wave height, and the type of wave. So if we go into a zoomed-in version of that, we'll see that based on the disciples' visual observations of the boat being swamped and um, it being a great windstorm, if we're being super conservative, we're in the gale kind of eight force zone where you have 39 to 46 mile per hour wind, 18 to 25 feet waves, and edges are cresting, kind of breaking over the boat. So that's kind of conservatively. If you want to talk about, um, <laughs> if you want, whose child is that? Um, if you want to talk about the uh, violent storm that other versions uh, mention, you know, you could kind of even go into those categories. I don't think it got that high, but um, to bring it home, we just had the, um, the eddy, surf and Surf So those waves are insane, right? 20 feet like Hawaiian version back, 40-foot faces. It has to be consistently that, and it got up to even like 50-foot faces. Insane. Um, Daniela and I, uh, when I first learned how to surf, she would like take me out and I'd be like, woo, you know, surfing. I was a master at avoiding waves in the beginning because I was like, oh, too big wave? Nope, 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 nope. Just like paddle right around. Like I had to figure out how to do that and I remember there was a couple times where we went out and it was like super squally, it was like pre-hurricane and it was like eight foot foot waves, right? I was terrified. I was like, oh my gosh, good thing I'm I'm good at avoiding waves. The whole time, I just became a master paddler at like avoiding waves and if I had kind of just avoided all the waves and not died that day, I was such a good surfer. So, um, you can imagine, if I was in these kind of conditions, um, (laughs) that would be insane, and if you talk about the eddy, those massive waves and what it takes to actually get in the water. I don't know if you've ever actually been there to while that happens, but the sound of the waves and the sight of the waves, like camera just doesn't do justice to how big they are. It's kind of like inside you're like, "Ah." and then you're like, as the surfers go out, you're like, is this this safe for me? Like, are we okay with this? And so, you know, you have the whole Eddie would go and that like mantra means something um, to us because we're like, yeah, Eddie would go. Well, Jesus would sleep. Verse 38, but he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And I have to pause here to note that Mark is the only version, and it might be why I chose this version, um, that mentions the pillow. That not only was Jesus asleep and he was resting, but he was comfortable. He was on that cushion. So not only kind of was he thinking, or not only was he you know, tired, we talk about, you know, he's been out all day. And I've heard this sermon talked a lot about, and I was like, oh, like, why was Jesus sleeping? Was it because he was trying to, like, show the disciples, like, look at me, I can sleep in a storm? Um, Based on what we have here is because he was tired, right? He's fully man and fully God. One commentator says that in the span of a few moments, the disciples saw both the complete humanity of Jesus in his tired sleep and the fullness of his deity. They saw Jesus for who he is, truly man and truly God. So he's tired, he's asleep, and meanwhile, we have the disciples, right? Verse 38. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And to this, I really relate, because how many of us, when we're overcome by fear, we're under the impression that Jesus must not care or he must not understand what we're going through, or he must not know the conditions, because we're professionals. We've been on sea our whole life, right? We know this means perishing. This type of force of uh, wind, this type of gale means perishing, right? But we forget the who that's with us. We think about the odds stacked against us, and in that atmosphere of terror, You know, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? With being surrounded by life-threatening elements, we forget uh, who's with us. So verse 39, someone's about to go all God mode here. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. This is Jesus. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The peace that lived in Jesus and that lived inside him and that was him was a very, very different reality than that storm. It's kind of like exact opposite. If you remember the Beaufort Wind Scale, you have it starts at zero. So you have where the, where the um, lake or the sea or whatever looks like a mirror, right? You have that understanding of uh, no height, right? Like a mirror is the description. So you have something of like the eddy-eye cow to absolutely nothing. That would be pretty crazy, too. And in that understanding, his disciples are filled with fear. Verse 40. Oh, sorry. We're going back to Jesus. Then we're going to the disciples. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You have little faith. And to this... I think this seems a bit harsh of like, yo, we were just about to perish. Like, this is pretty crazy. We have full reason to fear. We were reasonably going to perish. Um, but he's calling the disciples to a different reality, a different perspective of faith that knows that Jesus is Lord over nature. And one commentator talks about this term, this uh, oligopistos, which means you of little faith. It's used by the Lord as a tender rebuke for anxiety. One scholar writes that he does not chide them for disturbing him, but disturbing themselves with their fears. So how many of us experience disturbing ourselves with fears? Which I think that's a really interesting way to phrase that, because that means we have responsibility or we have some sense of ownership over what can disturb us. And in that sense, if I was a disciple, I'm like, how can you not be disturbed by this, right? The wind and the waves are insane. So the disciples are asking him, you know, well did you see the waves? We have real reason to fear. But Jesus is saying, do you see me? You have more reason to believe. And that is pretty crazy because if you understand the who I am, the God that's with him, in in perspective of that gale, that gale that was insane to absolute calm, right? That was was what was living inside of Jesus. That was what caused the disciples to um, marvel. Here we go, verse 41. And they were filled with great fear, one version says awe, and said to one another, or marveled, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Talk about an emotional roller coaster. You're just thinking you're going to die. You're going to perish. So I, my emotions are probably pretty high. You know, I'd be thinking about, like, what did I leave behind? This is how I go. Um, didn't think this was going to be like it was, you know. Um, to all of a sudden, you know, Jesus wakes up, tells the wind in the and it's not like, and then in 20 minutes, everything's settled. Immediately, right, it goes calm. And then you're like, oh, shoot, like, who is this person, right? Who then is this? So it's like fear about all around you, and then you're looking at that person in the boat like, oh, my gosh, who are we following, though? And that's a really important question, though. Who then is this? Most of uh, commentators and scholars about this miracle say that um, this is the reason why in verses 22 through 56, the next couple of miracles, that Christ as the Prince of Peace, who stills the tempest, casts out demons, and forgives sins, thus quieting nature, spirit, and conscience is available to us and to show us his deity. So Jesus is showing his divine nature, his God mode there, right? Right? And these miracles are that invitation to understand Jesus as Lord over nature, demons, disease, and death. Amen. I want to be on his side. I would, I would definitely be scared too. I'd be like, oh my gosh, who is this? But then you'd be like, okay, I'm going to be on his side because now I've seen what he can do, right? And I think the chosen actually illustrates this confusion and amazement and shock that the disciples like constantly lived in. Because growing up, Uh, I grew up in the church my whole life, and you kind of read about the disciples, you're like, oh, the disciples, yes, the people like the most spiritualist, and then you like start reading the Bible, and you're like, oh. (laughs) Like when you start hearing them question, and they're like, who then is this, and whatever. They're, They're the people that have been closest to Jesus, and they have no idea, right? And then you see them that um, they're terrified of who they're with. They're like, I don't know who that person is. I'd be the person that was kind of like in the side of the book having that like side conversation of like, "Um, you staying? Are you staying? Okay, well, I I think I'm going to stay for a little bit longer, but I don't know about this. So my main question is though, how do we access the reality of this peace where we aren't overcome by fears, but focused on the person who brings nature, demons, disease, and death into submission? I want this. There should be something in you that when you read the Bible, you should go, I want that. I want that. I want that in my life. And so that brings me into an inquiry of Jesus' divine peace. And as I mentioned before, um, as I was um, kind of gripped with anxiety about a month ago that night, and the Lord just started talking to me, for those couple of hours, um, this is kind of the inner dialogue that happened as well as just the ongoing study of this um, sermon. So his peace, this is what he was talking to me about. His peace is warfare against what comes against me. His peace is found through being in the presence, through being in God's presence and communing with Father. His peace Our portion was bought with his blood, and he gives it freely. So his peace is found in accepting true life, life found in Jesus. There's this song by uh, Will Reagan that's... um called Running in Circles, and the chorus of it is over and over again like, I'm so forgetful, but you always remind me, you're the only one that gives me peace. And he says that over and over again. And every time I hear it, I'm like, yes, I forgot. You're the only one that gives me peace. So that's what this journey is also about, is understanding that kind of peace. So where is true peace and who offers true peace? Because it's a person there, right? John 14, 6 says, this is Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the way to the reality of peace found by reconciliation and communion with the heavenly Father. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 says, for he himself is our peace is another explanation, right, of Jesus as our Savior, the way, the truth, and life, because he saves us from bondage and darkness. That's part of why he came. But the other reason is that he came to connect us to the Father so that we could commune with that peace. So it wasn't just love, like, hey, cool, now we can live. It's like, but what is true life? Life is being connected to the Father. Life is being connected to what he died for. It's connected to his reality of peace. So there, the same reality of peace in Romans 8.2 says that Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death and connects you. Then it kind of goes on to talk about the Heavenly Father. And that verse, uh, 1 John 3.1, where Father calls us his beloved, says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So John there is talking about, it's not just like, "Eh, Father kind of accepts us. No, he's lavished us with love, and he calls us children of God. So the whole reason he came to save us was to conquer death and connect us to Heavenly Father, which I wrote is, I think, a living proclamation of justice that brought true life. And another way of saying true life is true peace to our souls. So experiencing this true peace means to come in alignment with Jesus' reality. And his reality was being one with the Father and allowing that relationship to permeate and change atmosphere around him. This truth is so good. And yet... I find that sometimes when I read about truth, I'm like, oh, it's so good. The same kind of like, I want that. How do I make it true for me? Because you know when you know something is true, but then you experience uh, something different and you're like, how do I step into this? And so this next kind of section is talking about how to kind of practically step into this understanding of truth. In Romans, Paul addresses how life through the Spirit sets us free and then compares that perspective of freedom to the bondage of the mindset on the flesh. So here we see that for peace, posture matters. Your ability to position your heart and your mind matters. Romans 8, 6 through 9 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. You are in the realm of the spirit, governed by life and peace. So the power of life and peace lives in you. That is good truth. So stepping into that, we can see that um, also in Pauline's epistles, the books that Paul wrote, he recounts over and over and over again the life that we have in Christ Jesus, the power and promise through Christ Jesus, and the presence of God that is with you. So like a really small rabbit trail, I'm an English teacher by uh, trade, I actually taught um, Oliver in the back, so you can ask him how I kind of compare teaching English versus preaching. Uh, but prepositions, so I just mentioned in, through, and with. Prepositions describe relationship. So they describe time, place, or abstract relationships within that sentence or within kind of talking about the noun. And Jesus is our subject, so our noun. Remember? A noun is a person, place, or thing. Okay, cool. Um, so in accepting who Jesus is, we're accepting the realm of the Spirit governed by life and peace, because the Spirit of God lives where in you. Paul describes the abstract relationship also in Colossians one twenty seven as the mystery of Christ that has been revealed, being Christ dwells in us the hope of glory. So let's review some of these truths. In the story of Jesus calming the raging sea, he manifests a reality of power and peace that showcases his divine nature and points to a person who is fully God and fully man. Christ Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to represent a heavenly reality that would, through Christ Jesus, come as the Prince of Peace. Ooh. Holy Spirit's here. Uh, He came as the Prince of Peace to reconcile us to the Heavenly Father. Last bullet. How you access Jesus' peace is knowing the truth of who he is and the relationship of you in him and him in you and him with you. This is the reality, the realm of the Spirit governed by peace and life. Can I get an amen? Okay, not bad, not bad. Uh, When I was practicing this sermon, because I practice my sermons, um, I uh, deadused my audience. And so uh, in telling him, you know, and all these things, can I get an amen? He's like, amen. But he's the best. Um, So if you have accepted Jesus in your heart and he lives in you, you have full access to all that he has victoriously and richly and freely given. But what about those times when you are in crisis and there's turmoil and it's surrounding you. So you know that this is true, but you are surrounded. This is like you are in a storm type of uh, understanding. Or also sometimes uh, you just feel like God is distant because we're busy people living busy lives and sometimes we forget how to connect to God. I don't know if you ever relate with that, but um, sometimes I'm just going about life and then it's like that running in circles song of I forget. I'm so forgetful. You're the only one that gives me peace, and then I say yes. I need peace with God, and then pr- I'm a very practical, like how-to person. So I'm like, how? Um, especially when you are a mother, and you're like, well, I don't sleep at nights, and like a lot of times she sleeps on me for the day, and um, my main focus of the day is like eat food, go to bathroom. It's kind of like my main thing. So then you're like, how? So I'm being brought into this understanding, too, of how peace happens um, and how I'm able to connect with Father um, apart from what I did before. Because before, I'd be like, okay, I just need to kind of be quiet before the Lord when I don't really have um, the same ability to do that. So in that, there's a skill that involves your ability to dwell on truth. And then you can do this, obviously, um, in any walk of life. But it's meditation. Everyone say meditation. So... The world often uses this word, like in a lot of businesses, you see um, people talk about like meditation and that kind of understanding, and that would be the Eastern definition. And so a simplified version of kind of the Eastern religion definition is that it seeks to empty yourself. In a desire to find inner peace, it's a belief in letting go and embracing nothingness to find true freedom. So that's how Eastern religion defines meditation. Sounds kind of helpful at best, a little harmful, at worst. Um, But it's kind of a sort of like access and utter void to find uh, peace. But then I really have to push against that because I think that's really a false narrative for understanding what peace truly is. That if we just went through, you know, a lot of what peace is, you can kind of measure that up with that. And we won't recap that whole bit, but I really want to define how the Bible sees meditation. Psalm 48, 9 says, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. So, biblical meditation seeks to fill your mind and body with the knowledge of his will, the understanding of his great love for us, the acceptance of the Prince of Peace that lives within us. Meditation, as described by one pastor, is communing with God, it's a relationship based activity being filled with his truth. So if you think about that, if you feel lonely, if you feel like, I've forgotten how, you need to get full. You need to fill yourself up. And so let's practice that, actually. This is one of my favorite verses. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So, when you are surrounded by fear and you forget who lives in you or if you feel like that desperate sense of loneliness, uh, when you have lies that come against you or if you feel attacked or if you're in great danger, there's always the truth of peace that lives in you and with you. And that truth, the Lord is near, is a sentence. I love that sentence. It's like four words that if, uh, I always think about, is actually people are like, oh, would you ever get a tattoo? I'm like, ah, I just changed so much in my life. I feel like if I got a tattoo like earlier on in my life, I'd be like, because oh, it just would represent like different stages. Um, but this never changes. So if I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe one day I'll get a tattoo. But if I did get a tattoo, I feel like it would be the Lord is near because that never changes. And that fact um, is something that will stay with me the whole time. So when you feel distant or um, when you feel like you are lonely or um, you just can't do uh, that day, meditate on that sentence over and over and over again. This, this whole verse is just chock full of incredible truths, but that sentence has got me through so many days in of itself, those four words. And uh, when you get before God and you remember who he is and what he's done, the peace of God transcends all understanding. That's what guards your heart and mind. And that is an incredible transaction. So practically, meditating or communing with God really helps you live the promise of that reality of peace. And another way to uh, fill yourself with truth is by setting. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So here again, position of your heart and your mind matters. How many of you know that we're bombarded with earthly things? Not just the things that I would consider like, you know, not evil, just kind of distracting things, but then if you talk about the evil things, turmoil, abuse, racial injustice, division, incredible hate, and newsflash, pun intended, Uh, hate sells. Negative news sells more papers, clicks, and attention, and attention is the highest currency in the marketing world. A recent discussion about this um, was published in the New York Times, this was during the pandemic, called Bad News Bias. I wanna read you some of that. An economics professor at Dartmouth College noticed that COVID-19 television coverage almost always seemed negative, despite what he was seeing in the data or hearing from scientists he knew. So stay with me, this is interesting stuff. He and two other researchers built a database of coverage Uh, over COVID information from every major network, CNN, Fox News, Politico, The New York Times, and hundreds of other sources, and in the U.S. and overseas. The researchers then analyzed it with social science technique that classifies language as positive, neutral, or negative. And here's what they found. About 87% of COVID coverage in the national U.S. media last year was negative. And that's not just because... like the story of COVID and the pandemic was this like grim story that had no positive news. That's because they realized, as he says, this is the professor speaking, human beings, particularly consumers of major media, like ne- negativity in their stories. We think major media are responding to consumer demand because bad news sells. And if I'm a news company, and I'm reporting the good things that actually are happening during the pandemic, um, people may write me off. They may not actually listen to that story because they're trying to find the deets, right? And so they referenced the US national uh, media coverage in reference to all the other um, overseas companies, those news companies, right? And they found that we were like 20% more negative than all other major um, countries. Which is pretty crazy. That means there were actually positive things happening, but we were focusing on, we're like, okay, positive things happening over here, shifting to the negative one. Uh, I was really kind of wondering why this was the case, though, too. So here's another quote from the article, though The impulse to consume negative news can be difficult to resist. We are evolutionary-wired to screen for and anticipate danger, which is why keeping our fingers on the pulse of bad news may trick us into feeling more prepared or more in control," says Cecile Ahrens, who is the clinical director of therapy in San Diego, California. So if we're kind of in a judgmental attitude or being kind of cynical, we could read this article and shake our heads and be like, ah, major media, inherently evil. And then when we get to where the article explains that major media is actually responding to consumer demand, we can be like, ah, people these days. And then when you get further and you read the quote about people being drawn to bad news because they fall into the illusion that bad news, reading more bad news, helps them feel more in control and more prepared to assess kind of the risk or whatever, this is where it should kind of hit home for us. Of course. Don't we want to be more prepared? do we want to feel like we're knowledgeable about what's happening so we can respond in an appropriate manner? Jesus, do you know these statistics? Are you aware of the suffering? There are real reasons to fear and be concerned for our lives. But Jesus says, do you know me? You have more reason to trust me. The miracle of calming the storm was about an invitation to know the Prince of Peace that lived in a different reality. Ephesians six fifteen talks about the shoes that we're supposed to put on that gives us this readiness by the gospel of peace. This is in reference to the armor of God, right? If you grew up in church or if you went to VBS or whatever, we have the belt of truth. And you know, every time someone would be like the belt of truth, and you like buckle that, right? And they would say like the breastplate of righteousness, and you like lift that up, right? Or the um sorry. The shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. But I find it interesting that the shoes given by the gospel of peace, so you have the shoes of peace, the the readiness given by the shoes of peace. Readiness there actually translates to preparation. Something I kind of missed before about peace actually preparing us for battle. Something that you're like, oh, okay, uh, you put on all that armor, don't you forget those shoes. (laughs) You're not going to be ready. You're not going to be prepared. So this understanding of readiness and preparation is about what God has to say about peace. But I want to go back to kind of setting again. So how do we set our hearts and our minds on things above? I think it's Part of, we need to become consumers for Philippians 4.8, the whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think of how my life would be if I really thought about those types of things before bed and the first thing when I got up in the morning, how my life would be different how I'd actually be prepared for battle in a way that I couldn't be by perhaps catching up on the news or, you know, doing other types of things. But I have a quote here that I love that kind of talks about this setting. This is by Pastor Bill Johnson. He says, Heaven is filled with absolute perfect confidence in God. This world is filled with absolute mistrust. And you and I will always reflect the nature of the world we are most aware of. What you live conscious of is what you will reproduce in the world around you. I try to live in such a way that nothing ever gets bigger in my awareness than my conscious and awareness of the presence of God upon me. I don't care what the problem is. If it's an international crisis or a personal issue, the moment that problem gets bigger than my awareness of the presence of God on me, then I will live in reaction to a problem. Another way of talking about this is in Colossians. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That awareness, right? Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Set your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. So before we read earlier in Colossians, this is later, 315. If we want to reproduce the reality of Christ in us, we have to let his peace rule, not earthly things. We have to see peace and thankfulness and praise as a way to fight the ongoing crisis and crises of the world. And then there's kind of the doubting side of me, right? I'm like, "Mm, but doesn't that mean we're kind of being irresponsible? That we're perhaps ignorant of what's really happening? Isn't this attitude careless? And I think the disciples would kind of agree with you. Do you remember the accusation that they asked Jesus? Do you even care that we are perishing? But here's the thing. The reality of peace that lived in Jesus is higher than the storms. He wasn't avoiding crisis. He was overcoming it. And he came to defeat capital D death, like death for us all, and come against every single lie that kept us in bondage. He was and is the most aware of what threatens our well-being but he's connected to a peace that goes beyond understanding. So a peace that goes beyond understanding will often look foolish to the world because you shouldn't have peace. You don't have all your ducks lined in a row. We're not out of the pandemic. We're not out of international war. You shouldn't have this understanding that everything is well with your soul. But according to Jesus, you do because he's inside of you. Because true peace speaks to the relational presence of God, the personhood of Jesus. And that's why we need to prioritize this relationship. So we have the filling, we have the setting, and now that we kind of have that there, I have, you know, what about being busy? What about life happening and everything? Well, what about serving? All those things are really, really good. But in comparison to prioritizing the relationship of being with Jesus, it doesn't measure up quite so well. So here's a story often talked about in church that I always kind of had this like cringe feel about. This is from Luke ten, thirty eight through forty two. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed them into their house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. First of all, I don't know if you have sisters. I have five sisters, so if my sister wasn't helping me and I had to do all the work, which in that scenario honestly would never happen, I, I would, I would be Mary more out of laziness than I think dedication. But uh, and I asked the Lord, like, hey obviously, you know, you love serving, Lord, and I'm serving you. I'm not I even mean, just like over here doing my own thing. I'm serving you. But Jesus gives Martha um, this response that I feel like is kind of like a burn. <laughs> like, one, Martha, Martha, I'd be like, oh, I'm being tried in front of people. Um, not what she was expecting, though, because, you know, that ac- accusation, we, we hear that again, Lord, do you care? Like, do you see this? But one commentator speaks to this story, saying, uh, a heart at leisure from itself, like the heart of Jesus, brings the atmosphere of heaven wheresoever it is found. One thing is needful. It is to be one with Jesus under all circumstances. Nothing else is absolutely necessary. And this, gloriously, blessedly, this is gloriously, blessedly possible for any believer who has accepted as a personal experience the great truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory. One thing is needful. It is to be one with Jesus under all circumstances. Nothing else is absolutely necessary. That is the prioritization that would also help us understand how to navigate crisis of the world, how to navigate peace inside of you. And I love the fact that Jesus actually says to Martha, though, you know, this one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Who's the good portion? Him. Him. He's our portion. He came that uh, we might have him, which will not be taken away from her. He's like, Martha, listen, I understand, but I'm not gonna take myself away from Mary because this is why I came. This is why I came to give her this understanding of relationship. So there's so many ways though that the world tries to sell you ideas about peace that I constantly get caught up in, right? It's that Running in Circles song over and over again. You can find inner peace in letting go of all control. You can artfully create the right work-life balance to find peace. You can find peace in the right people, or the right insurance company, or the right medication, or the right vacation, or the right staycation. And all good lies contain some truth. But these are all statements that are illusions of control, illusions of understanding of what actually peace is. And they may relieve our minds, but it's not the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. It's not the divine peace that's above the storm. And I tend to get into this cycle of kind of desperate hustling for peace where I'm just like trying to stay afloat. And so I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to read this book. Or like, oh, I'm just going to do yoga. And I love the understanding of self-care. I don't really get to practice it anymore. But uh, I would come home from teaching and um, read because it would get me right out of work and just, like, unwind me. And I love yoga because it stretches you and it, it like, f- demands that you focus on you and your breath. And in that understanding, um, self-care is really, really meaningful to me. But self-care cannot save you. It's not a savior for your soul. And so when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're lonely, it can kind of put that off a little bit, but it doesn't actually meet that need in you that you have to be met by a savior. And so in retrospect of that, true peace of mind is not your ability to control, but a surrender to God's ability to love you through relationship. 1 John 4:18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And this verse is wonderful, beautiful, and absolutely incredible. All these passages are a beautiful synopsis of the gospel of why Jesus came and who he connects us to and brotherly love. Um, so please, please go read it. Um, But for the sake of time, I want to do a little substitution exercise uh, from verse 8. Verse 8 previously says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So if we see God is love, like God equals love, and we substitute that there, we see that there is no fear in God, but perfect God casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in God. Kind of works both ways, right? It's this understanding of what is God, God is love. What is love, love is God. This understanding, this transaction is a relationship. And so I would argue that control tries to actually replace God with our own efforts. But when you do that you actually replace or remove his ability to perfect you in love, to perfect you in him and what he's doing in you. Because in God's love or in God, there is no fear. So if you want a place of peace, your understanding has to come from the fact that he is in you and you are in him. And when you practice the biblical version of letting go of control, you don't just drift into this like void of nothingness or a void of anxiety And fear, you connect to a heavenly reality of perfect love. And this relationship is the one that perfects and completes you. This is the kind of love that rises above the storms. But this is easier known than practiced, in my opinion. And I recognize that sometimes the desire to control makes me talk to God like this Father, I trust you. Tell me exactly what to do right now. Tell me all the details. If you can, ahead of time, please. And any other obstacles or hard things that are going to come my way, your servant is listening. Right? I ask him for everything. I'm like, God, give me 2020 vision for what's happening. And a caveat here God loves details, and seeking him for guidance is absolutely necessary. But in this case, Um, What I'm really saying is, Father, would you please take away the opportunity for me to trust in you and give me this divine insight so that I can plan my way out of practicing faith for navigating the unknown? I totally pray those prayers where I'm like, God, would you give me all the details so I don't have to have faith for this next season of life? Amen. And then I'm like, oh, mm, okay, well, God, would you give me, you know, a different understanding? But this is the opposite of dependency. This is the opposite of trust in the character and the person of God. And I think I search for that because it's an illusion of security and a false sense of obedience. I'm like, hey listen, you tell me everything, I'll just do it. And he's like, I actually want the relationship of you trusting me and taking steps in faith. Um, and that's where I feel like he's like, Audrey, Audrey. It's that like double double name uh, head shake. And there was this one time in particular that I was wanting a solution. And I was making a decision, and um, God showed up, and I was not very thankful about it. I was praying about this decision, and I felt the presence of the Lord. And I was saying, like, God, what should I do? And I felt him say, I'm here. I was like, wow, thank you. That's so great. What should I do? He's like, I'm here. And I'm like, yes, yes, so good. What should I do and I just felt his presence and instead of being like oh what a gift I have in Christ Jesus I was like "Ah, forget this and I just like went on a run or something I was like oh I'm gonna pray I'm gonna pray later or whatever and it was much later actually like I would say like days where I was listening to a sermon or I was discussing this with someone I can't quite remember but I heard this phrase when he gives you peace and guidance he gives himself When he gives you peace and guidance, he gives himself. Because peace and love is a person. I was like, oh, that's why he kept saying, I'm here, right? And if we go back to that one commentator talking about the Martha and Mary story, right? One thing is needful. It is to be one with Jesus under all circumstances. Nothing else is absolutely necessary. So here's my hope. My hope is that I learn, that we learn communion with God over control. That we don't seek to find control and then like, oh, that's what gives me safety. That we're okay with feeling the the doubt and the craziness and bringing that to God and saying like, okay, as you are in me and I are in you, like, help me walk this out. And I know that fear often overtakes us. So, I just wanted to share, like, from my perspective, that um, I struggle with anxiety and anxiety attacks. Um, they were—they're were a lot better, but they were most frequent in grad school and my first couple years of teaching. And this is where, like, my sympathetic nervous system is engaged, a.k.a. that fight or response that, like, jacks up cortisol in your body to where you're, like, whoop, you know, assessing risks and fear, like a lion's about to attack you type of feeling. But it's all on the inside. So it makes me feel like an absolute crazy person because, like, I have a hormonal imbalance. Nothing is happening on the outside. But the inside is absolute turmoil and I feel like I'm a shell watching myself live, and I'm mindlessly frustrated at being incapable of producing small tasks like even an email. It's really, really frustrating. Um, Everything requiring focus and concentration becomes extremely hard. And um, it's a type of illogical havoc in my internal world. So the logical fact of like, it's okay, there's nothing to be afraid of, like nothing's happening outside. It doesn't work, because it doesn't work to calm you if that's not the trigger. And it feels like just raw fear corroding your everything. It's heavy, it's thorny, and it's sometimes hard to detect. And also, I felt shame about it. Because I thought, well, Christ lives in me why is this happening, right? Is it something I did wrong? Is it something that I'm like not doing, blah, blah, blah. And so I would really struggle with these times and I would sometimes share with people that I needed prayer for anxiety and more than once I received a well-meaning um, but in those times, you know, like they were telling me, in those times, just choose joy response. And in my brain, I'm like, you don't say because if it was just a, like a switch of like, oh, oh, just choose joy, well, like woo! I'm better. I'm like, okay, what about like most of the world that struggles with anxiety, right? And I think that that was totally well meaning but completely powerless. no offense. Also there's no one here, so don't worry. Um, but it's not something that um, you know this a type of like horrible suffering that I experience is not something that like a flip of a switch would um, be and yet you know, in those times of, like, mayhem and, like, ruminating doubt, um, if someone kind of tells you that, it's like someone just saying, like, you know, just live, love, laugh. And you're like, what? (laughs) That's the worst advice I've ever been given. You know, when did you get that, Ross? Um, No offense if you have that in your house, but uh, it's this understanding of, like, ah, well-meaning, but no power. And so I found through those times, though, that Jesus was very aware of how I felt. The fully man part of God um, allowed me to work through those times. And sometimes it wasn't even in those times. It was like way later that I was like, oh, that's where you were. So those times were um, a process of perseverance and building character in me. And there were a lot of people that also came alongside me to help you. But you know what is really helpful, I think, for people who experience anxiety Pray powerful prayers, and don't just tell people, and I'm not saying this because out of judgment, I'm just saying, I think you should pray, like, send people your prayers. If you just say, pray for you, or whatever, a lot of times, I forget. You know, we live busy lives, or also, I pray for them, and it's kind of like, ah, but when I'm like, I'm going to send them a prayer right now, and this is what I'm saying, this is what I think would be helpful. Pray powerful prayers, Pray that they would be aware of the personhood of Jesus and the prince of peace in their mind and body. That they would feel the reality of heaven that reflects the perfect peace and sanity that lives within them. That the truth that Jesus makes the darkness tremble would settle in their bones and despite this internal turmoil, their spirit would begin to minister to those places that feel void. That the wonders of his love would dispel all fear and that the truth that they cannot be separated from the love that is in Christ Jesus would permeate their being. That Papa God who calls his children his beloved is near. He is near and his affection does not change. Jesus' ability to control and sit on the throne does not change. And his will for them to be in unity with peace does not change. When you come into the alignment That Jesus was and you declare that over someone, that's you helping position truth. That's you actually coming in on their behalf and standing with faith because that requires faith. All those statements that you said, right? Well, what if nothing happens? Well, what if something does happen? We have to believe that faith is also a risk, right? And when you are stepping into that, it's a process. It's a journey. But So many times I have been so amazed at how God works in people's lives when you are able to stand in with them and declare his truth. And so I commend you to pray powerful prayers. And if you're like, I don't know how to pray powerful prayers. Well, look in the Bible. You can plagiarize all that truth. Like it literally is power that you have permission to use. And you can just take it and be like, these words are my own. The Lord is literally like, pray this prayer, right? You can use those words. You can plagiarize that, which is saying a lot because I'm an English teacher and I have a thing against plagiarism. But in this understanding of kind of what Jesus did in calming the storm, I kind of, I'm ending here, but I want to also talk to you that um, that there's this really uncomfortable promise of God where he says that there will be suffering in the world. Um, It's actually a promise. And you're like, ooh, that's not really popular. Like, I want to hear the promises of love and peace. And yet, in that understanding, you have to understand that he is also promising himself. So the purpose of that passage of Jesus calming the storm is not that every storm that comes um, upon you, he's going to calm. That's actually not what he promises. He promises that there's going to be suffering and tribulation. But he promises that he will be with you through that suffering and tribulation. And so I have uh, two verses I want to share with you to end here. John 14:27, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives." This is Jesus talking. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John 16:33, "I have told you these things." He's talking to the disciples about what's going to happen to him, right when he's going to um, leave them, and when he's going to feel deserted. So that you may have peace. So that you in me, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Ooh, there's that promise, right? But be courageous. I have conquered the world. Ooh. Right? There's an understanding of like our perspective should be from the understanding that uh, the war is already won. Right? So that understanding is actually what helps us have peace. That he is in us and we are in him. And that he is victorious. And I just want to say also that um, if you're listening to this message and um, all the things that I've said about communing with God, you don't know that. I would like to invite you to understand this God that gives peace, this understanding that uh, Father God sent his only son to give you peace, and he bought that peace at a really heavy price. And he bought that piece at a heavy price when we were still sinners. And so during worship, if you want to um, experience a God that lives inside of you, I would encourage you to say, Jesus, would you come in my heart? Jesus, would you allow me? to be connected with the Father that loves me, that lavished his love upon me. I recognize that you died for my sins, and I accept that you call me his kids. And that understanding is what brings you into peace. Because I don't want to talk a lot about this, and then you leave here if you don't know Jesus, and be like, oh, that was nice. Guess I don't know how to kind of know him, though. Um, Because that knowing, that process, we're all in that process. None of us here that even know Jesus have arrived. It's it's an ongoing process of relationship, but I wanna I wanted to let you um, have that understanding that that is available to you, and it's the greatest decision you could ever make. And um, lastly, I want to leave you with this. it's not a sermon by Andre if I don't give you a playlist. So um, this is from Spotify and I can't take credit for this. It's not a playlist actually, it's two albums. Um, but if you play these albums, then Spotify kind of like plays songs like it, so maybe that's there. But Peace and Peace, Volume 2 by Bethel Music, um, heaps of artists that are on here and all different songs that they have kind of remastered in a really soothing, incredible way. But I think each one of these songs is like a message that's declaring that peace into your life. And so sometimes when I feel so like I don't know what to do, I just like, I can click on Spotify though, or Apple Music, if you have Apple Music or whatever you kind of listen to songs with. Um, I can click on this album and it starts, and this helps position. This helps start the thankfulness. This helps start me set my mind and my thing and my. Um, heart on things above, not on earthly things, because sometimes I'm just steeped in it, so this kind of helps me, so I wanted to kind of leave with that, and then I'll invite the worship team up now, Uh, but with this journey, with this understanding of kind of what is peace, when this next kind of set of worship, I'd also encourage you to uh, get with God, and just see what he has to say about your life, and peace too, Because that revelation, that understanding, we're all in different walks of life there. But that uh, opportunity for the Lord to minister to you, I think, is the most powerful. Because it's like the exact words that you needed. It's the exact phrase that you needed. It's the, I'm here, that you needed. That when you need, you know, we all have different needs. We all have different crisis. We all have different things that we are hoping for or need faith for. But when Jesus comes, he answers all of those needs. Only one thing is needful, right, to be connected to Jesus. That understanding of connection to Jesus is really why we're here. And so in this next set of worship, if you uh, want to get communion... If you want that remembrance of who God is and what he did for you and the sacrifice that was uh, laid bare on the cross, there's communion on um, either sides of the stage. There's carpets if you want to come and use them to kneel or just come closer. Um, There's an understanding also that you uh, can just sit in your seat. That's obviously totally fine. You can stand. You can raise your hands. I would just say get with God and um, get with the understanding of what he's doing in your life to procure that peace to make you aware of it. Because it's not if he gives it to you he already is inside of you but that awareness of finding it sometimes that's the relational journey that i'm on right now of i know it but i want that truth to be real to me every single day so let's pray father just like scripture says we begin with thankfulness we thank you that you are such a good god in a good mood who loves his kids you have lavished us with this love and you bring us this understanding of who you are and the peace that Jesus won, that we can step into, that we can live in. So Father, would we experience that? I pray for the people that feel like they're distant from God, for the people that feel like they're lonely, that their heart would be ministered to. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is near, we worship you God.